you're listening to the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable, the official Star Wars Rebels discussion podcast of StarWarsReport.com. Join us each week as we discuss each new episode. We want to hear what you think of this new Star Wars series. Send us an email or an MP3 at RebelsRoundtable at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash RebelsRoundtable, on Twitter at RebelsRound, or on our website, RebelsRoundtable.com. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So strap yourselves in and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to the original Rebels Roundtable, the official podcast of the Star Wars Report covering all things Rebels animated series. I'm Jonathan, and tonight we're going to be talking about episode 8 of season 2, Future of the Force. And joining me to discuss, we have Nathan. Hey everybody. Mark. What's up, Star Wars fans? And Barrett. Hey everybody, it's good to be back. So before we dive into the content of this episode, I kind of want to get everybody's initial impressions. So last to introduce, first to give his thoughts, Baron, what did you think of this episode? Oh, wow, man. This episode was uh, really interesting to dissect. This is one of the episodes I really had to watch a couple times to really grasp what was going on here. It's not an arc, but these two episodes go together and I think it constitutes, well, I guess technically it's not the mid-season. Uh, next week will be, but it's the beginning of it, and it is setting up a lot of things, I think, in this episode that we will be seeing in the future. I got a couple gripes about how Kanan is doing in his Jedi duties, but we'll get into that. I'm sure we'll talk about Kanan and Ahsoka, definitely, but it was a good episode all around, and I can't wait for next week. Mark, what about you? What did you think of this one? Well, this one was strong. I, I think my issue with this one was when I watched it again and again, it started to lose some of the luster. There were a lot of really good, strong moments, but there were also a lot of moments that I was scratching my head, a lot of sarcasm in my note taking, and we'll get to that as we get to it. But overall, I think with the characters they chose once again, they had a winning formula. It was a pretty strong episode to be sure, even though there are a couple little blemishes. Nathan, how about you? You know, I think I'm kind of like Mark. The first time I watched it, it was kind of a, uh-huh, 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 and got to the end with Ahsoka, and I was like, wow, with, you know, finally getting to see her in combat. You know, it's been like half her lifetime since we've seen that, basically. But then going back and re-watching it to get a little more detail in before discussing it, I was running into things. I was like, wait, what? Where logic didn't really make sense. There were some plot holes, and I guess this is one that Brock would tell us they're telling us to just kind of go with it, to run with it. But there were a couple of times I was just kind of shaking my head like, huh? But for what it was and the fact that I know there were some fans out there who were very afraid that this was going to be, you know, two men, one Lasat and a baby or something or some kind of comedic episode, it didn't wind up falling into that trap. So not the strongest episode of the season, has some really great moments for the season, and not, I wouldn't even say the weakest of the season, but it's certainly not up there with, say, Stealth Strike last week. Wow, I think we're going to be unanimous on this one, because, yeah, there were moments of this episode that I loved, and I, I'd say that 
especially maybe that battle at the end between Ahsoka and the two Inquisitors, maybe one of my favorite moments of the season thus far. But there were some, I guess, comedic aspects of this episode that kind of fell flat, especially on repeat viewings. Mark, Nathan, like you guys, the first time I watched it, I was completely drawn in and I was going with it. But then, you know, you watch it again and the things about it that don't work become very glaring. But let's get into the episode itself. We start off with the Inquisitors attacking a passenger vessel with the purpose being to capture a infant. And I think it's called out in the episode itself. This is very reminiscent of something we've seen in the Clone Wars. Yes, Children of the Force, back when Cad Bane did it way back in the Clone Wars. Although, it's interesting that we finally get a little bit more of a reason of why they did it in the Clone Wars, thanks to Rebels Recon, and it really makes me kind of look at this episode in slightly a different way, wondering if that's what they're going for. Because according to Rebels Recon, the reason why Sidious was gathering all the kids up back then wasn't about training apprentices or something, but if you hook them all up to a machine or something, a la Minority Report, it somehow helps him see the future. So I'm kind of hearing that and looking at this episode in a different light. I'm thinking of it the way that Kanan was thinking of it, right? This whole idea of take the kid, either turn them into Inquisitors or kill them so they can't become Jedi. It's the mission the Inquisitor got in the special little Darth Vader scene on ABC back in Spark of Rebellion. Go after the children of the Force. So, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting mission. I will say that that first scene, as cool as it is, as they're heading to Chandel and, and the Inquisitors come after Danja and little baby Alora, right? The reference with an A instead of an E to Willow. The thing that got me was they get the baby and the Inquisitor turns around, fifth brother turns around, activates a lightsaber, throws that sucker, and it's a narrow enough ship that it just kills everybody. And they I leave like the grandmother alive for some freaking reason so that she can talk to Ahsoka? I like that. I mean, I thought that that was pretty dark that the brother threw the saber and you know, you, even though we didn't see it, you know that they're all dead. He was pulling a Savage Opress from the scene that they cut short back in season five of the Clone Wars, basically, where he did that to the Black Sun people. Now, to your comment about what they revealed in Rebels Recon, I really hope we never see that because the last thing in the world I want is to see Palpatine with a, uh, you know, see the future machine with a bunch of baby batteries. <laughs> now, you almost wonder if they kept Grandma alive as bait. Because, Nate, that was one of the things that jumped out to me on my second viewing, too. Was like, wait, why did they leave her alone? But I had a question I wanted to ask you because... You know, you'd brought something up that happens later about the Clone Wars reference, and they talk about a Sith Lord. Now, when Ahsoka talks about the Sith Lord, I was assuming she's talking about Dooku. In those episodes of the Clone Wars, was Sidious ever named, or did they just leave it nebulous and, and they just assumed it was Dooku? I thought she was talking about Dooku. I don't think that they ever learned it was Sidious until episode three, when she was already out of the order. It was Dooku. For, is it, what I think it is, is... That they always thought that Dooku was the Sith Lord out there. Sidith was always hidden. That's what I but, thought too. But I'm with you. I think that the reason they left her alive, and this grandmother must, you know, maybe the trend from 2015 of young grandmothers have stayed to Star Wars because this grandmother is very young. I thought it was the mother at first, but they keep call they called her old one, and she's just, you know, 
She's a grandmother. I'd give her a taste in the well, galaxy you know. far, far away. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so, so horrible. Thanks Vanilla. for sharing. I was, oh, I was about to say that it was about the, it's decaying morals and babies having babies and, and make the bad cultural reference, but you had to go there, didn't you? <laughs> She's Latara-ish enough. Oh, but oh. Here's the thing is that I love this opening. Because it reestablishes these Inquisitors as a force to be reckoned with. The last time that we've seen them, they got defeated. They did not succeed. You know, Kanan and Ezra got away. So it was very good with that, that it did bring up that they are ruthless. That, you know, they're not always trying to make jokes. That they'll just, they will kill you. And I like the fact that they're working in pairs so it seems that we will be seeing them together, hopefully, instead of working apart, you know, like how they were introduced, that I, I thought it was good that, that both of them were sent on this mission. But I, I like the I liked the opening very much and didn't bother me when it went dun, 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 again after seeing this opening because I wanted it to come back real quick. Now. On the whole Clone Wars versus, you know, did they know about Dooku or Sidious? They knew Sidious existed. They knew the name thanks to Attack of the Clones. And they knew he was out there somewhere. There was just some question of how did Dooku fit into the mix. I don't believe that it was ever revealed, though, to the Jedi themselves that it was Sidious doing it. But we knew it was Sidious instead of Dooku because I believe there's a point in that whole arc. Because remember, that was one with the Kyber Crystal and, and Bala Rapal and all these episodes building up the beginning of that season. There's a point at which Cad Bane is getting his instructions from Sidious via the holocom. So we at least knew, they didn't know. But it's interesting that she has been looking around Mustafar for information on the Sith Lord referring to Vader that they encountered, and Mustafar was where the children were taken back in those Clone Wars episodes. So Mustafar is showing up more prominently. We remember we called it out when it happened on the Clone Wars. We called it out when it happened here, and now they're linking those two together, which was kind of interesting. But I don't know, Baron. I don't think I can agree on this idea that it amped up their menace. Because they show up and they kill a bunch of unarmed passengers and take the kid, not killing the woman who had the kid so that she can spill her guts later. And then the entire rest of the episode, they're buffoons. They're getting tricked by a comm. They're not able to sense things in the force, but now they are. But now they're not, but now they are. These two Inquisitors have no menace to me at all after two episodes. See, I almost think Grandma was left at bait. But the thing that really got me about the whole, you know, was Dooku the Sith Lord was that Ahsoka knows Dooku is dead. And yet they're still talking about the Sith Lord. And I'm like, well, wait, shouldn't that be drawing a bell for her? Like, shouldn't she be going, wait a minute, but Dooku was the Sith Lord and he's dead. Who's the Sith Lord? Dun, but, dun, dun. but surely she knows that Palpatine was Sidious and Palpatine is in control of the galaxy now. I mean, surely her contact with other rebels and presumably, you know, Bail Organa, Obi-Wan and all, they know Sidious is a Sith Lord. It's just a question of who this other one is. So when she says, you know, the Sith Lord that she's looking for, she's talking about Vader, but she's talking what? about like the Sith Lord doing something with these children. It could very easily be referring to Palpatine. It's not like it's a secret for her. I don't think I, that's common knowledody that everybody yeah. knows that it's Sidious, not common that, knowledge, but I don't Obi think Bail, Organa, Bail Organa knows that Palpatine is Darth Sidious. You don't, I don't think that Obi-Wan told him whenever they were getting out of there that Yoda went, excuse me, who are you just fighting when I saved your ass, Yoda? Oh, no one it was. <laughs> well, no, I don't I, know if Bail's going to go out of his way and tell the rest of the rebellion right away. He wouldn't tell Ahsoka? No, he would tell. I mean, if he was that involved in the rebellion, he's going to tell them, especially tell Ahsoka who Sidious is. My God, I think this is the first time on the show, at least on Rebels Roundtable, that I'm literally sitting here and the thought process that ran through my head was, you have lost your damn minds. 
<laughs> I don't think and that doesn't happen knowledge often. that people know that Palpatine is Sidious. It's not it is common, not common knowledge, knowledge, but it would be Ahsoka's knowledge because of Bale and because of Obi Wan, who presumably. But you're assuming you're assuming you're assuming that that's what they talked about, and that that Yoda didn't keep it to himself and only talk with Obi Wan. How would Yoda Palpatine... keep it from Bale, given the circumstances of Episode Three? Well, all it did was he helped Yoda escape. It doesn't mean that Yoda from the felt... battle with Sidious. Yes, but the Senate chamber. But when he says did... he's gonna. <sighs> but Bale did not see the battle. Bale did not see the battle. He didn't see the Force lightning. He didn't see Palpatine doing that. He just saw the end. He saw Yoda defeated. It doesn't mean that Yoda told him. He could have kept it as Jedi business. I think you're reaching with that. I don't think that it's necessarily... I mean, it makes sense, but I don't necessarily think that Bale knows that Palpatine and Sidious are the same thing, that he's a Sith Lord. I don't think so. Baron, I'm going to have to completely disagree with you. I think there's no way that he doesn't know. Because remember, Bale didn't just happen to rescue Yoda. He was waiting for Yoda. He was set up ahead of time. And there's no way... That I mean, given everything that Bale did to go rescue Yoda and rescue Obi-Wan, that they wouldn't share that information with him. I don't believe that for a second. And it's not even the rescuing of Yoda, too, because remember, after everything, after Sith, so to speak, goes down in Revenge of the Sith, it's Bale who winds up finding our, our escaping heroes and trying to help them. And they're like, oh, we better go back to the temple and make sure that we change the beacon. Yeah. So up to that point, not only is it just the, you know, must go into exile because I suck for some reason conversation. You've also got the entire, you know, bail, what the hell just happened kind of conversation whenever he's thrust into the middle of this basically asking, acting as a rescue guy mid-film. There's no way Bale doesn't know. And what do the Inquisitors know? Do they know who Ahsoka is? They kind of make a reference that Vader would be very happy if, you know, if they get Ahsoka. So who knows what people know? Well, speaking to that, I thought it was interesting, and we're jumping all over the episode. The Inquisitors very much seem to have instructions to capture Ahsoka, not to kill her. Is that what you guys got? That's why Grandma was bait. Yeah, that's where I was at, too, was that the grandma angle, it tripped something in the back of the head. It annoyed me. And the only thing I could rationalize it was that they were hoping that maybe someone would pick up the trail. And that kind of, in a, in a sense, is exactly what they did with Master Luminara's ghost and stuff in the Clone Wars, or the earlier episodes of Rebels when they were hearkening back to the Clone Wars. I mean, they totally baited Kanan, and they weren't even expecting Kanan. It was just like, well, we'll throw this out there and see who we catch. You know, they're throwing the, the wide net. I think in this case, it's like, well, you found the, the really cool looking fishing hole, so let's just drop some bread in here and see if something takes a bite. Just not necessarily Ahsoka, right? Because whenever they do finally confront Ahsoka, there's the line about a unexpected but not unwelcome or whatever it is that she says. So they mm-hmm. didn't expect us. So if, if it was a trap, it wasn't just them being stupid and not killing grandma. Wow, that, that makes me sound like a horrible person. If it's not just them being stupid and not killing grandma, then surely they didn't know that it would be Ahsoka doing the investigation. If it was bait, it was just sort of generalized bait. Or there's another possible interpretation of leaving grandma alive. The sister said that they weren't going to hurt her. And they're evil. Maybe they're just torturing her because she'll know she's on this derelict vessel. And she knows that, I mean, the Sith, the dark side, have her grandchild. I mean, how evil can you be? 
So like the Reavers, you know, leaving one alive, the one that's just like totally messed up in the head. And she's fueling the dark side of the force with her fear. That's a, a twisted way. I will say one of the things I really dug about the Inquisitors, I like that they were being called the Red Blades. But one of the surprising things that stood out was with the fifth brother. For the first time ever, I realized he's got a gut. He's got like this paunch and he's got a special kind of armor plate with a design to kind of cover it up. But homeboy's packing a beer gut. To jump back to something you just referenced, you like the fact that they're being called the Red Blades. I would like the fact they were being called the Red Blades if it was something that was somehow already referenced, that that's how the galaxy looks at them, like they're known and they're called the Red Blades. Instead, we have two different, completely unconnected people, aside from the fact they both happen to have Force-sensitive children, who both refer to them as the Red Blades. That's too specific for that to be two different unrelated people saying the phrase. If this isn't meant to be, they're the Red Blades, capital R, capital B, that's what they're known as, that was way too coincidental for me. That was one well, of the moments that had me shaking my head. That is one that leads into one that I had, because it was with Ura, where how did she manage to get the baby out with the droid? With that droid specifically, I mean, was she warned? These are two Inquisitors, and she has no Force sensitivity. How do you put a baby in a basket and get the droid to go right past them without them noticing it? And if she well, was warned, by who? Well, wait a minute. Who's to say that she's not Force sensitive? Well, she might be, but I'm I'm still like, that was a rough one for me. It was like, how in the hell did you sneak that baby past those Inquisitors? I mean, she may not have a high Force sensitivity, but, you know, if she has a premonition of danger, why not send the kid off? Yeah, but even Kanan's was a little, almost a second before. When when the lightsaber came up through the floor at Zeb's feet, it was like, that was a cool moment because he had a moment of like, oh, something bad's about to happen. But, you know, even him, it was delayed and last minute. Which Ahsoka, when she first comes up to Kanan at the beginning of the episode, she's like, we got to talk Jedi business. And, you know, she's like, you qualify more than me. And I had to stop and question that too. I'm like, she made it to her Jedi trial. Granted, it was a crappy trial that they gave her, but she made it farther. She basically made it to graduation, walked up to get her diploma and said, you know what? Kiss me, Windu, I'm out. But she rejected the order. Kanan did not. Yeah, but she's she still wearing lightsabers. She rejected the order after they falsely accused her and did not give her a fair trial. I mean... There's only so much that you could take. And she is way more jaded. I laughed out loud when she said that. I'm like, they are trying to give Kanan way more props than he deserves. Oh, and yeah. wait See, till we get into Kanan into this episode because Kanan just needs to die. Wow. I didn't think of that as trying to give Kanan props. It was her making a joke on the fact that she may be, you know, the more experienced one, but. He's the one that still technically has that Jedi name because he's the one who actually kept being a Jedi up until Order 66. I don't think there was any propping up mention. It was just, if you're someone who is a college student and you graduate and you get your buddy who keeps changing majors, so he's been like a college student for 20 years and then you're joking around, you're like, hey, hey, you're the one in college, man, right? I mean, it's a joke to someone who's lesser than you that actually fits because in name, hey, that's the college student, oh yeah. But there's another thing. The purpose of the Jedi, at least one of the purposes of the Jedi, as I've always taken it, is to pass on the knowledge. Kanan, who's younger than Ahsoka, made the choice to take on his own Padawan and to pass on his knowledge. Ahsoka has never done that. Ahsoka has never sought out anyone to train. She's rejected the Jedi mantra, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, we knew it was coming, but even when she ignites her sabers this time, they're clear. They're white. They're clear. They have no color. They show no allegiance. 
Oh, see, Jonathan, I think you're just assuming that she didn't train anyone. See what I did there? Call back oh. to everybody assuming stuff in this episode. Listen, she is more Jedi than any of them. When she defeats the sister, she says to her, she doesn't cut her down. She says, you are defeated. I'm like, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi right there. No, she's, she's does a Vader. She says, you are beaten. She pulls an exact Vader line. Right, you are beaten. But she does not kill her. She gives the sister a chance to surrender, just like Obi-Wan does, just like Yoda did to Count Dooku in episode two, Jedi-like. Just like, just like Vader does with Luke. You know, very Jedi-like. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying Vader's very Jedi-like. Okay. Oh, something like that. <laughs> did you guys notice the way that the brother and sister use their numerical designations as slights? He goes... You question me, seventh sister. And she's like, only when you're wrong, fifth brother. Except isn't that like saying, are you questioning me, Ensign? No, <laughs> General. It works whenever he's sliding her because theoretically she's the seventh sister. She's like seventh in line or whatever, if that's, you know, from the top. But if fifth is higher than seventh in rank, it makes no sense for her to mock him back unless it's her just using the same tone in response, rather than actually trying to mock the fifth part. Unless there's like 300 sisters, so being seventh is awesome, but there's only five brothers, so being fifth brother sucks, or something. No, it's the, it's the Empire. It's your fifth for now. If you blow this, I'll be the sixth sister, because you're gonna be dead. Except there's no connection. We, we have nothing to indicate so far that there's even a connection between number of brother and number of sister. If it's fifth brother, that, that sounds like they're saying five brothers. As opposed to six sister or seventh sister, seven sisters. Uh, so he wouldn't be fifth in her line any more than she'd be seventh in his line, as far as we know. Yeah, that's well, now sexist. They haven't. Yeah, they haven't established much. There's a lot they still have to establish with the Inquisitory. Wow, and we're gonna call this episode. I, I know already what it's gonna be called. It's gonna be called the Future of the Force or Lost in Minutia. Yeah, no, <laughs> no doubt. But okay, back to the episode. I'm not sure how much I really liked the dynamic, especially in repeat watching, between Ezra and Kanan and Zeb and I, I just the rebels, I think on repeat watchings it just didn't read right to me. Did anybody else pick up on that? Starting from the beginning or near the beginning of the episode when Ahsoka is briefing Kanan and she's like, Well, you'll need to tell Ezra. And I'm like, Kanan goes, Oh, he already knows and opens the door and Ezra falls in. I mean, I thought we were past that. Oh, no, that was brilliant. That was hilarious. Oh, man, I got to disagree. I hated that. It's regressing again. We just saw Kanan jump around and take out hordes of stormtroopers, you know, and now he does not have the self-confidence in himself to knock on the door and say, hey, I'm part of the Jedi's too. You know, let me I'm in on this too. Look what I just did. He's still running around like a kid. This is where they're walking that fine line again. We don't want to see Kanan and Ezra anymore. We want to see Ahsoka. This is the fine line that they're walking. I mean, we don't need Kanan anymore after this. Kanan sucks. Kanan can't win. He gets defeated all the time. Ahsoka's the Jedi Master. This is where it's starting to get lit and it's starting to grate on us. Because we're like, oh, you know, look at Ezra. He's acting like a kid again. He should have passed this point. We want Ahsoka fighting. You know what I'm saying? I, is it just me or or what? I'm a Kanan fan, but I think that's because I really like the comic that's going along with, you know, mm, Marvel's mm -hmm. kickoff. 
Well, let me put a bug in your ear. It makes me wonder, uh, since, you know, Ezra really hadn't done that kind of thing in a while, it makes me wonder if this is Ezra having maybe a little bit of an attraction to a much older woman this time rather than slightly older, because it's interesting that he reverts to this behavior when the woman, the slinky woman slips into play. You know, maybe he saw some pictures of her from the Clone Wars or something. <laughs> Windows. <laughs> As he would call it for her, Windows 16? Is that what it was? Minutia. I think Jonathan just walked away. It's like, where the hell do I go now? All right, so they're gathering up the children, and they're going after at least these two that we know of. You have one... Uh, who that's on its way to the planet Chandel with Danja, and they capture the child, take the child with them, and apparently they each have those Inquisitor's ties now. Take them to the planet Takobo, which apparently was named because when they were in the writer's room, the first option they had for lunch that day was a taco bar. So they said Takobo. And this next child is the Ithorian, the child of Ura, named Pipey, apparently. I found it interesting that they didn't like they, like they didn't hedge their bets. They didn't go anywhere and drop off Alora before they went to Taco Bo. And they wind up, I mean, they leave the kid inside one of the TIE fighters. I live in the Atlanta area. This is the area that a couple of years ago, I guess a year ago now, there was a huge case because there was a guy who left his child sitting in the car well, he went, I think, to like a strip club or something, and the child died, and he's being charged with murder. And there was this big rash of that type of thing happening. To me, this was the moment where I went, ugh. Not necessarily because of the Inquisitors, but there was something about that scene that because of those incidents happening in real life, I don't know, it, it weirded me out or creeped me out just a little bit. But they take the little, one child— A little too close, huh? Yeah, a little too close to home. So they took the child, the first child, to where they're going after the second child, and— who knows if they're going to gather up anymore after that. But I like the fact that they at least gave it a reason for why there would be time for Ahsoka to get there by the end. It wasn't like the two Inquisitors went each to a different target and they were happening simultaneously. Ahsoka got there late and that allowed the Inquisitors to already be on Tokobo. I can't believe I'm saying that name. And then the fact that it takes so long on Tokobo is what allows her to catch up by the end. They didn't try to shoehorn it. The actual timing of the episode made a lot of sense. And I wasn't expecting it to after those first few minutes when they were going separate ways. I expected them to come back together, but I expected there to be some kind of convoluted mess to make it happen. And it just flowed. I don't know how I missed the Tokobol thing. Is he saying Tokobol? Taco Bell? Like, what the? I don't buy this. Taco Bar? <laughs> T-A-K-O-B-O. -O. And of course, like every other freaking planet, including in the new short, one of the new e-books that was just released, um, apparently, you know what the capital city's name is? Tonkabo City. I kid you not. But at least the, ne the neighborhood <laughs> oh, they're we're in. we're back to this? No, no, no. But the neighborhood that they're in made me feel like I needed to dance because it's an Ithorian neighborhood and they call it, all right, stop, Hammertown. <laughs> Like Tarkin Town, only this one's oh, the... No. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, okay. I will say that one thing that I noticed is that this is a lot more populated city than we've gotten before. There were more characters moving around. Uh, they've increased the number of, I guess, models that they have because it definitely seemed more like a city than what we were getting on Lothal. 
Did you notice that with the ship on the way to Chantel or Chandel? Also, it seemed like the ship that the first child was on had a lot of different character models as the other passengers, which was nice to see, having seen how many times they reused Maketh Tua in the background on Lothal. <laughs> it did, but there was some reusing. I think there was a, a male character that looked like the prototype for uh, Han Solo in the background on the ship. Again, minutia. This is where Jonathan says, so getting back to the plot. <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> so when they're going after the child and Ezra and Kanan go to the apartment and find the mother left alive, but in a trashed apartment. One thing that I did really like is I was really hoping that she wasn't going to speak basic because we've already established in the first season, <laughs> you know, my favorite bartender, old Joe, who spoke through the dual translator because he was an authorian. It's just a little thing, but I was really glad that she didn't speak basic because that would have, I don't know why that would have annoyed me. You know, I was the same way. I was, my irritation, it was a mild one, but I was like, oh, they lost that whole sound that they have, you know, the classic KOTOR, you know, every time you'd see an authorian, he'd have that sound to him. And they used it for the Gendy Clone Wars when they had the one guy use his double voice. So it's kind of like, oh, they went to a different route. But with her, I thought it was funny because it was like, Kanan was calling her Ura, but it always sounded like Zeb was calling her Ula. I was like, what the heck is Zeb doing? man? I'm like, Zeb is clearly the me of the Star Wars universe. He can't say anyone's name the right way well he's also the racist did you notice that no i hadn't <laughs> because when he eventually does get his hands on pipey which sounds exactly like the kind of nickname that ahsoka would give to a crying child by the way <laughs> um when he does find pipey he picks him up and looks him straight in the face and wonders which end is up <laughs> he's met ithorians before he's buddies with old joe he's just a racist <laughs> Just a jerk. Well, in all honesty, that thing was an ugly little baby, wasn't it? Wasn't it? You're a racist. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first one speciesist. Get it right. Speciesist. Excuse me. One thing I did notice is: Are they changing the way that the Inquisitors look a little bit? Because I never noticed two things. I never noticed about the seventh sister was one: her hands are red, and two, the way her mask opens. I think is a little different than what we've seen before. It kind of like has the visor open first and then the mask spreads open from the nose, from the midline to each side. And she pushed a button and one of those droids popped out of her back. Now that's the one that jumped up to me because when you look at her back, that's not the shape of the droid that comes out of her back. I'm like, wait, is she robotic? Because it looks like a donut. It looks almost like the same mounting that the fifth brother and the main Inquisitor were using to hold theirs, but she has hers on her hip. So clearly, yeah, okay, the droid's using that spot, but it's got a concaved center that that droid is just too big to fit. That really, like, I thought it was cool, but it really jumped out to me that the backpack, for a lack of a better term, would not hold the package inside of it. Oh, see, I even rewound it to look because she presses the button and it pops out. I rewound it like I could have sworn there was nothing on her back. And sure enough, you rewind it. It's not on her back. It's that same look as when the droid is gone that they're showing. So it's just it's, I think it's just a continuity thing. I didn't have any issue with the size. It's just that in the shot right before it, you couldn't see it. When that lightsaber was coming up through the floor and Zeb at, at his feet, you know, he jumps back. Ezra's holding the baby and he hands it off. And he walks right where the Inquisitor has stabbed two times. I'm like, oh, my God, do you have a death wish? 
I love that whole sequence because it felt like a horror movie thing to me. Like they're standing on the floor and you never know where the blade's going to come up. And then the blade comes through the wall. I know you called them bumbling, Nathan, but I think there were some moments in this episode where the Inquisitors actually felt kind of menacing to me. I think that there was some level of danger. It wasn't a consistent danger, but I, I don't know that. When we get this and then later when we're in the speeder chase, I I felt like there was some danger from the Inquisitors. They had some. I mean, the stabbing up to the floor was great. The stabbing up into the vents was great, especially because you didn't necessarily expect it right at that second. And he just and he keeps doing it, just barely stops before getting to them, which, of course, he was going to do. The throwing and having it come back. There's only one point in the entire episode, I think, where any of them, I think it's the brother near the end, throws the lightsaber and it lands on the ground instead of it coming back Captain America shield style. The fact that when Zeb drops the little explosive, they grab it. And throw it back. And props to the creative team. That sure as hell was a frag detonator because of the way it exploded. It exploded so much different than most of the other ones that we see. That was awesome. So they've got their moments. They've got their skills. It's just that at other times you're like, what? It's like they can't sense. I mean, are we going to say, I guess, that, you know, Kanan was using the Force to block everyone else's perceptions in the Force or something. Because they couldn't sense where the children were at different points. They get lured away By the sound of a baby crying through a comm link. That even to us in the audience, you can tell the difference of the sound when they run it through the filter to make it sound like it's coming from the comm link. They didn't follow the force, they followed speakerphone. They're not Sith Lords. They're just evil people who use the force that know how to use lightsabers. And I think this is going to be, and I know this is going to be a theme that goes along. That's It's been a theme in the legends. You know, they're dark force users. They're not Sith Lords. So they're not very powerful, which begs the question for me is, can Kanan stop getting his ass kicked? I mean, come on. Kanan seems like the only Jedi the only person in the whole Rebels show who does not learn from his fights, who does not learn from his experiences. He just continues to lose. He he can't beat these low-level Force users. I have no confidence in Kanan. I have no confidence in his training. It's it, well, they, they regress every three episodes. This is a major problem that I have because, remember, he's having trouble with these Inquisitors. He beat the Alpha of the group. He defeated the Prime Inquisitor, whatever you want to call it, the one who's training all these others or was superior to all these others. He shouldn't be having these problems. He did wind up growing. I mean, we have, you know, credit where it's due. He did grow between his first encounter with the Inquisitor in Rise of the Old Masters, the Grand Inquisitor, and when they met again, eventually leading into Fire Across the Galaxy, right? We did get a chance to see that growth there, but he he is inconsistent power level-wise this season. I think that this goes exactly back to what I brought up last episode with Ezra, though. Shouldn't Ezra have been able to tuck that baby under one arm and somersault all over the place and take out both Inquisitors based on what we saw last week? He's focused on the baby this time, though. Yeah. He tried. He didn't get a chance. You know, the seventh sister kind of took him out. Before he tried, I mean, he had his lightsaber out, which the baby reached for, by the way. Did you see that? I'm thinking this is the point at which you sit the baby in the corner or you hand the baby to Kanan based on what we saw of Ezra last week. I don't know. For me, it's more like, you know, Kanan was always running from the main Inquisitor. And after he had his stand up with him, he's less likely to run. And I don't know. For me, I was I was enjoying it. I liked more so that Kanan wasn't going to run. In fact, it was Zeb, change a plan. Run. He grabs him and lifts him up and starts running with him. And 
it was almost ridiculous, but I really like the relationship of those two characters as they've grown through, as I've watched them, that just seemed run of the course for those two. I mean, Zeb's hauling and he has literally got him, you know, like by the back of his neck and the bottom of his britches and he's just running full scheme and Kanan's shooting the window out and they both jump through. And when they get to the bottom, Zeb's like, you knew Speedo was going to be there. And he's like, no, <laughs> I just thought that was great. It was like a Butch Cassidy Sundance moment. That was great. And if you look, if you rewind and you look at Kanan's face as he's being carried, he just has this utter look of like embarrassment on his on his face. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up about him not wanting to run away because we know of Kanan based on what we got with the comic series. Which we got the new dawn until he let everyone in on the secret. He was trying his hardest to stay away from anything that would get him attention of Sith Lords and others who would come after him for being a Jedi. Now it seems to be the opposite. In many cases, Kanan is the one wanting to stand and fight and wanting to even jump into the fray rather than being the one to turn around. Just in this episode, it happens a couple of times. It's not just the going out the window into the speeder. You're at the very end. It's him who's like, what about Ahsoka? And he's about ready to jump back in and help Ahsoka. And it's Ezra who has to tell him, she's got this. Let's go. So it seems we're seeing a dynamic shift over the course of these seasons in Kanan to being someone who, now that he's accepted and embraced the Jedi side of his heritage and such, now he wants to act upon it. He's more impulsive than one would expect when it comes to combat, especially for someone who's constantly teaching Ezra about focus and patience and so forth. But that does not help Kanan if he's the weakest Jedi to ever Jedi in the Jedi Order. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel about the man. Lay the Jedi down. When Ezra's there at the hangar and he's banging on the door and he's yelling out over to Kanan that it's locked, I had noticed at that moment the lines that they use for like the gaps in the steel, it almost had a fuzzy, like it was using the the spray paint in paintbrush effect. It was one of those moments where I was drawn out, but it was right before one of the coolest moments of this episode. And I wanted to know if you guys had the same feeling. And it was when the doors opened, it was like the reverse duel of fates. You had yes. Ahsoka there. You had a, it almost had the same sound as duel of fates, but with an Ahsoka like twist to it. I mean, Everything about when she stepped into battle was just awesome for me. That was one of the highlights of this whole episode. But she had a moment right before she really gets all zen and almost, you know, 100% Jedi on the Seventh Sister where she drops to her knees. And I, for a moment, thought we were having a Kenobi moment. I'm like, get up, grab your lightsaber. I was like, what is she doing? And then she did that reach out and grabbed the Seventh Sister's lightsaber and just stopped it. And disengage the blade. Like, that little zen moment when she did all that, that was awesome. But there was also a great moment of dialogue with her and Ahsoka, where Ahsoka goes, I know why you want the children. And the seventh sister goes, who doesn't want to be a mother? I mean, oh, man. Sarah nailed that line when that came out. I was like, I was giggling. That that was great. What did you guys, did you guys have that same kind of just, oh, my God, moment? Well, that whole sequence was really what was the high point of the episode for me. I see what you're saying, and I did get that sort of Duel of the Fates vibe, but that whole sequence felt like very episode one, but in reverse. And even to the point where you're saying that Ahsoka was kind of like doing an Obi-Wan thing, I think she was doing more of a Qui-Gon thing, where she was like centering herself in the Force before another engagement. Well, you know, she also, during the fight, you want to talk about doing this as Duel of the Fates in reverse, not only does she come through the door 
and activate the two lightsabers pointing the different directions and such and get into the fight and do the whole Qui-Gon-ish thing centering herself. You gotta wonder if Qui-Gon could have saved his own butt if he had done that and grabbed Maul's lightsaber instead of getting up and walking in and dying. But even then, how is this battle choreographed and handled? As the battle is going on, it's predominantly Ahsoka and the seventh sister. Why not the fifth brother? Because she whoops his butt and knocks him aside very much like Maul does when he knocks Obi-Wan over the edge so he can engage Qui-Gon alone. If there's not intended parallels between this and Phantom Menace, somebody's got Phantom Menace on the brain by accident because it was very well staged. I I think this is that this particular fight. To most extent, I would say it's probably the highlight of the season for me. Maybe not, again, Siege of the Lothal put a, a pretty high bar. And I still don't think this episode's anywhere near last week's. But that sequence was fantastic. It's what we've been waiting to see. I was stoked having just finished watching The Clone Wars to see her back in action again. And the animations, very smooth, very sleek as far as her movements go, even to the point where when the time comes for her to leave and she does that crazy jump with the flip landing and then jumping again, reaching out and grabbing the ship. There was something more dynamic about the style of movements they gave her than we've really seen from many characters in this series. In fact, in a lot of ways that we haven't seen from Ahsoka even back in the Clone Wars. But to see this, having just seen her fight Anakin on Mortis, having her just seen... the I mean, What happened the last time we saw her in a lightsaber battle? She got her ass kicked by Barriss and lost both sabers. And now here she is in this fighting form. I can't wait to see her take on Vader. Though she may have to die. She's going to die. Ahsoka is a Jedi Master now. Totally a Jedi Master. And I did not get episode one. What I got from this was she channeled Yoda here. This was when Yoda fought Ventress for the first time, and Ventress thought she was just the baddest, and Yoda slapped her silly. This was a Yoda moment. She came in like a Jedi Master and handled these two fools. Dude, you just referenced the first aired episode of Clone Wars, Ambush. Kudos to you, sir. <laughs> now, the other thing about that moment was she turns to Ezra, Ezra, get the youngling to the ship, and gives him a slow wink. Anything in that? I mean, Nate, I know you were talking earlier about, you know, maybe Ezra's slipping back because he might have a crush. No, do you think no. that's going to do some kind of fuel to that? No, no, no. She winked at Ezra. What I got was everything's going to be okay. Get to the ship. I got this. Mm. Not, you know... No. I'm with Barrett on what it meant, but I too was like, what? When she first did it. And it certainly is kind of funny in light of the whole him listening in thing. I know. I didn't get that. I think it's just kind of like Barrett said, she's got this. Although it would be kind of funny to see Ahsoka and Sabine fight over Ezra's affections. Wouldn't well, it? well, let me ask because, okay, so she winks. And we're now that we've seen it and we know that nothing else happens, we assume, okay, well, yeah, that was just about her winking because she's got this. But when you first watched it, did anyone else see her wink and think there was some kind of other plan in place and it was kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, just follow my lead kind of thing? Yeah, I was expecting, you know, Hera to come blazing in with the A-wings or something. <laughs> No, I just felt that it was such a moment for Ahsoka where, you know, when she first got introduced, she was such this character where a lot of people didn't like her. I mean, I, I will agree. I didn't like the way she talked. Now, seeing her here and giving that wink, for me, she is taking the role of a true Jedi. And she was telling him everything's going to be okay. I didn't get anything like there was another plan or anything. It was just like the real Jedi is here. I'm going to take care of these two. 
And you had mentioned the moment before where she kind of de-energizes her lightsabers, gets to her knees, and kind of meditates and gets peace with herself before she grabs the Seven Sisters lightsaber. I think that this battle, this lightsaber battle, can go up with the top five lightsaber battles we've ever seen on television. Totally. But is that also because the Inquisitor's weapons are just so cool to watch? I mean, because Dooku, or not Dooku, General Grievous had that same kind of feel. You know, when Kenobi went up against him, we were like, oh my gosh, he's so quick. Look at him. The sabers are going so fast. How is he ever going to go up against that? I mean, there is kind of that allure to what they've got there. And at times, I'm kind of like, you know, it's almost an unfair advantage to them to have one where they can do all the spinning and flips without really having to move their wrist. Uh, it was just one of those things that really perturbed me as well about their lightsabers. Another thing that distracted me was their ships, as well as the Phantom, apparently just crash onto the ground. They have no landing pads. They just park without any kind of landing pad at all. And I'm like, why would you do that to a spacefaring vehicle? That doesn't seem like a smart way to go about space travel. Well, did you notice that at the beginning, and this is the other thing, I, I wrote it down as something that made me go, huh? On one of those logic of the episode things, but I crossed it out without mentioning it because I'm like, you know what? We're far enough into the episode and I don't want to be the nitpicky guy this time. But since oh, we are, <laughs> since we are, did you notice that when the Phantom lands on the Taco Bar planet, Okay, the door is already open. Zeb jumps out before they're even landed. The moment it touches down, here comes Ezra and Kanan, and immediately also out pops Chopper. So, is the ship on autopilot and auto-shutdown or something? Does it automatically close the door, kind of like some cars turn off their lights? It seemed like they really kind of rushed that when they could have just had the ship sitting there and them walking out. I don't know. There was something weird about the Phantom. Maybe that's something that he got from uh, from Quarry. It can just go splat onto the ground and turn itself off. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up because this is the first time we've seen Chopper in the astromech port in the Phantom, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Blade Wing episode was only a few couple episodes ago, so that's when it got modified. So I think you're right, Jonathan. This is the first time we've seen him in the port. So we basically have a psychopathic homicidal driver. That always goes well. Speaking of a homicidal chopper, you know, when you were talking about leaving the baby in the car and Chopper and Zeb are having this back and forth. No, we can't leave it here. We'll blow up the ship after we get the baby. What's wrong with you? (laughs) The fact that Chopper wanted to blow the ship up with the baby in it, and Zeb has to point out that there's something wrong with him. I'm like, you know, I keep thinking about the sentient angle with Chopper, and I'm like, I don't know if Chopper's sentient or if there is something seriously malfunctioning with this droid. Sometimes he's brilliant. Sometimes he's scary. And then they give Chopper the babysitting duties, which kind of was like, don't give a living thing to a droid. Not a homicidal droid. I mean, they're going to come back and like, look, he came apart, but I can't put him back together. (laughs) You notice, though, that homicidal chopper actually takes on kind of that attack mode at the end because he's holding them and spinning around. He's trying to induce them to vomit on everyone around him. (laughs) That would have been awesome. (laughs) <laughs> on to Zeb. Oh, why me? And Ezra be like, you smell better now. So the final thing I wanted to bring up about the end of this episode was the fact that how much does Ahsoka know about Vader? Does she know it's Anakin? She mentions to the seventh sister that your master will have to wait when she's referenced to being captured or whatever. So does she think that 
Vader has more apprentices. I'm not sure the whole Sidious thing. I it it kind of got a little confused, but she's still with the master and apprentice thing. So she knows there's a Sith Lord. She must think that these Inquisitors are apprentices, right? Something oh. like that. So it's well, it's the jilted it's the, the jilted X thing. It's the X going up to the current girlfriend and being like, "You'll just find out how he is later." Kind of thing, right? If she's referring to Vader, your master will just have to wait. <laughs> I know all about you in that relationship, you sick little girl. <laughs> I think that it, after what has been, I think it's almost common, not, I won't say common knowledge, but, you know, the Inquisitors are Vader's, like, I guess, secret police almost. And I got the impression that we already kind of figured that out. And at the end of the first season... The Inquisitor says there are some things scarier than death, some things worse than death. And then the next time we see Kanan and Ezra, they're actually facing up against Vader and almost, you know, and he almost basically kills them both. I don't think that the Inquisitors are Vader's secret police. I think the Inquisitors are the Emperor's handymen, just like Vader is. Because when Vader tells the Emperor that Anakin Skywalker's Padawan is still alive, it is the Emperor who says, I'm sending someone else. You come back to me. See, I agree with that, but I think Palpatine is telling the Inquisitors that they report to Vader. Because, you know, Palpatine's not going around going, I'm the Sith Lord, I'm the Lord of the Sith. No, he's letting Vader take that moniker. So well, it makes sense to have Vader be the one publicly, you know, that they report to. We know there's a chain of command there. There's already an answer, right? First episode of the series, ABC, the Inquisitor answers to Vader. Yep. I mean, Vader is giving the Inquisitor his marching orders and the Inquisitor is reporting directly back to him. The Emperor isn't there. And I think, you know, just because Vader has his own secret police, it doesn't mean that the Emperor, who is Vader's master, can't tell him, hey, use your tools here. See, I think Ahsoka is just in denial right now. Like, I think when she got close enough to Anakin, she picked up a vibe and she knows in the bottom of her heart that it's Anakin and she is looking for everything to prove that it isn't. And I think as she discovers more and more, it's going to slowly keep breaking her heart because she's going to realize that, oh, yeah, this is exactly who I'm afraid it was. So one question I have to you guys before we're done with this, if the Empire is hunting Force-sensitive, do you guys think it stands to reason that Palpatine never stopped? That the entire time from when Cad Bane was sent out looking, he continued to do it, just was more crafty about it, and now he's just being openly blatant? Or do you think he took some time off? No, no he never stopped. That's how, how the Inquisitors are there. He never stopped. He may have been looking since Maul, since episode one. He's been looking for these force sensitive babies. I don't think he's ever stopped. I think that's how he's built his dark force users. I'm not sure that's what they still call them, but in Legends continuity, they're dark force users. I don't think he ever stopped. That's how he's got the seventh sister. That's got how he has the fifth brother. And Nathan, you were saying that the recon was talking about they're possibly using these babies to fuel his seeing the future. Because if that's so, that adds a whole nother creep level of how long he's been doing this. Very true, especially given the context of all the things that he has foreseen by the time of Return of the Jedi. It's, I don't know, it's it's an interesting possibility. Although, what I want to see now, if he really has been doing this for years, I want to see an Inquisitor armored with scales from the Zillow Beast clone. Oh, <laughs> do we forget that they dropped the storyline? What? But Yeah, they're supposed to clone that thing. 
I think that as far as seeking out for sensitive children, I think the emperor has, you know, Sidious has been doing this for a while, but I think with the Jedi gone, there isn't the same pipeline. They're harder to find now because however the Jedi did it, they had something in place where they knew about these four sensitive children before they went and, you know, abducted them from their families and forced them into a cult. It was but, Yoda. Yoda, remember? They, we showed it. They, Yoda, he would find them and they would go get him. The head baby stealer. But now they don't have that. <laughs> so it may be harder to find them. Your baby, give him to us. You must. In any case, the one thing we haven't touched on before we end is we realize that when the rebels make their escape, the Inquisitors know where they're going because Ezra's talking to a baby and reveals, hey, wouldn't you like to come live with us on Garel? Moron. Oh, come on. How does he know that he's being followed? I admit when it was done, I was like, wow, that was kind of dumb of him. But I actually don't see that as the biggest issue. He's done plenty of dumber things. He was trying to calm down a baby and having a one-sided conversation with the baby. I for some reason, that didn't ring untrue to me. Although as soon as he did it, I'm like, oh, they're going to find out. And there's where the next episode or a couple episodes from now are going to go. Somebody on this call called it out before we started recording as him being stupid. Now we're hearing more on. I didn't see either of those. I just thought he was talking to a freaking baby. Well, we'll have to see where they take it next week. You want to meet Baylor Gannon, don't you? You want to see your secret plans, don't you want to see your secret plans? <laughs> Do you know that it's Anakin Skywalker? You know and there's a little boy in hiding and a little girl on Alderaan, isn't it cute? Yeah, that would be stupid. Well, why? He, he basically, that's what he said. He should have just kept his mouth shut and played peekaboo like Chopper was doing. But at least uh. gave us that great, I mean, the droid repeats it. And he says it again, you know, line for line. And she goes, we'd love to visit Yvonne Garrell. I just thought that was a great way to end it. I was like, when that happened, I mean, like Nate said, as soon as he said it and you saw the droid, you knew they were host. But to already have that moment, you're like, we could jump into the next episode and they could all already be on the planet. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool ways they could go with it from here. But I did also like that Kanan had brought up that the Jedi Order being gone, there was no one out there to protect the kids and it seems like that's his new mission now. I almost wonder. It's all if over the place. You almost get the sense, like, is he going to be like the next Cole Skywalker going to go around and round up all the kiddies again and, and save the order? And he's not very good Jedi. He's going to end up dying. So he's going to fail. But he, well, here's <laughs> the problem. Here's the problem is that Ahsoka is such a good Jedi and she's so real rounded and solid that she doesn't have these problems. That she, what, what, what is happening is now I'm starting to dislike. Kanan. You and think? Ezra. And, I, and I'm trying not to, but I'm starting <laughs> to be like, God, man, this ain't the... You know, I want Popeye to be the Jedi. I don't want Wimpy to be the Jedi, okay? I want Popeye to be the Jedi. And so far, Kanan is Wimpy. As long as Soka's around and she is... It's like Yoda being in Rebels. If you have a choice between Yoda and Luke, you know what I'm saying? That's not a choice at all, who you want, you know? So... They have to do something quick because I, I want to like Kanan, but he's got to stop getting his butt kicked. Wait, if it's between Yoda and Luke, what is the choice? Because they've already put Yoda in Rebels. You pick, you you mean pick Yoda. He's talking he's about basically like a fight. Saying, no, oh, no, oh, he's oh. saying if you're going to be trained by somebody and you're going to be trained right. by Yoda or Luke, who would you rather be trained by? Well, I'd rather be trained by the experienced teacher who has a lot more miles under his belt and a lot more experience, experience. and knowledge training. But right, Yoda's so, just going to go, waiting for someone else, am I? Too busy. 
prepping for this. But what he's saying is, why not have Ahsoka train Ezra because Kanan's screwing the job up. Kanan is not doing anything. He's getting beat. He's not doing anything. He has all of these pure moments and great intentions. You know, let's take care of the Force babies. That's my mission. But he doesn't have the tools or the power or the training or the discipline or anything to to complete that task. When we have that in Ahsoka. Go ahead. Are Are you saying then if Ahsoka calls him out and is like, hey, you need a refresher. And she decides to start training them both. You know, like we're gonna yeah. we're gonna pick up where you left off, and we're gonna get you up to speed. Like I, I, I was kind of hoping something like that because I always had the feeling that Ezra was Luke, Kanan was Kenobi, and that Ahsoka would become the Yoda. Isn't she already doing that though? She's already training them both. I am going to disagree. As I said earlier, Ahsoka has rejected the Jedi. I don't think she's interested in training. I don't think that's her goal. She'll protect and she still operates under her own code and her own experience from the Jedi, but she doesn't want to perpetuate this order anymore. She walked away from this. I don't think she's going to take on an apprentice, and I don't think she is going to feel comfortable with the idea of training or even supplementing either Ezra or Kanan. But isn't that a weird place to be when clearly a Force-trained individual who knows Jedi arts as she does, as Kanan does, and as Ezra is starting to, they're worth their weight in gold. I mean, she's got to be able to see that there is some merit to training someone else and to furthering it, whether or not the dogmatic sides of the Jedi are out there. The martial skill of what it takes to be a Jedi is something that she should be training, whether or not she's going the philosophical route. And just the wasted resources of having Force-sensitive children that you could recruit and train to be on your side for the Rebel Alliance and just to waste that away regardless of the beliefs of the power structure and system of how the Jedi Order worked just would go against who Ahsoka is. Part of it, I would argue, is, is there's probably a fear level there. Because if she does try to train someone, there's it's kind of the same thing that Kanan was worried about to an extent. The same thing that in the EU, Luke was heavily worried about, which is that whole, can I train? Am I good enough? Am I going to train somebody only for them to turn into the next Darth Vader? Because I'm not good enough at training. I was never... I was never sort of given the guidance to become a teacher. I was only given the guidance to be a student. And being a student and being a teacher, as many teachers find out their first year, are very, very different things. But I think that you guys are hitting on exactly what came up back, I guess, in what? Siege of Lothal? And that is this whole fear of how do they deal with Ahsoka? You put her in too much, you get this exact conversation going. They've got to find ways to keep her out. And so far, they've used her judiciously. I'm not seeing the whole worry that you guys are seeing. I'm not seeing Kanan sucking. I'm seeing Kanan doing what he can, but Kanan, of course, isn't her level. He didn't have that level of experience. He had just been chosen just about as a Padawan. He'd barely been with Depa Balaba before everything went south. And Ahsoka was a war Padawan for almost three years before she wound up walking away, having gone through what they eventually called her trial. So I don't know. I don't see that issue. But they do have to be very careful, as we talked about with Clone Wars 2.0 stuff. They've got to be careful and judicious with when they let her be in the series. She's been gone on this mission for several episodes, and this was not an issue. Now that she comes back for the beginning piece and the end piece of this episode, all hell's breaking loose again in the conversations. (laughs) Presumably she'll be there next week because it's basically a two-parter. But once this subsides... She needs to go off into the background on a mission trying to find out something about the Sith Lord again for the while to make sure this exact thing 
isn't what's blowing up in fandom. I like the fact that it makes me so proud that Nathan P. Butler has uh, perpetuated the War Padawan brand that I started. Thank you, Nathan. That is true. That is true. I did use your phrase. I owe you no money. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not sponsored. So we're going to have to see where they go from here. I agree. I would hope that they are a little bit more judicious in their use of Ahsoka. You brought her back in. I think it's time to keep her out for a little while and maybe bring her back when we do have that final confrontation or (laughs) I'm saying final. We don't know that for certain, but I think we all kind of suspect it. Final confrontation with Vader. I could see them taking her off and doing just that with this. Like, here she goes off on her mission and we don't see her because she's doing Jedi stuff. Or Ahsoka stuff. In any case, we'll be back next week to talk about the, I guess, direct follow-up to this episode. I think from the preview, we got the sense that some of the strands that were started here are going to be picked up. But I want to thank you guys for taking the time to discuss the minutiae of this episode with me. Good to be back and not have Skype dying on us. Can never go wrong with that. (laughs) Take care, guys. Take care, guys. I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Well, until next week, long live the rebellion. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Wars Report's Rebels Roundtable. Rebels Roundtable is hosted by Jonathan, Barrent, Jen, Nathan, Mark, and Dan. Interact with us online at facebook.com slash rebelsroundtable or on Twitter at rebelsround. Also, be sure to visit rebelsroundtable.com when looking for an episode directory of the show. The Rebels Roundtable team is proud to carry on the legacy of Venganza Media's Republic Forces Radio Network podcast. We invite you to visit republicforces.com's archive section to hear many of the team members' thoughts on the Clone Wars, droids, Ewoks, and the Clone Wars micro-series. And check out Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official Expanded Universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com, which you can find among the second Airborne Division podcast network at StarWarsReport.com. Star Wars Rebels and all that the Star Wars universe contains is the intellectual property of the Walt Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. Star Wars Reports Rebels Roundtable is copyright 2014, all rights reserved. And don't quote us the odds that they'll pull some bullshit and it'll be like Clone Wars and they'll be like, here's the cliffhanger at the end of the season and then we're going to resolve it halfway into the next season and not do anything with it at the beginning of the season, you and we'll think Ahsoka's dead, but she'll crawl underneath a trash can. I was—that's what I was going to say earlier when we were talking. I had this—I had this comment coming of of Oh no, Ahsoka's under the dumpster or something like that. And I never got it in because it, the conversation just kept going. But yeah, I was totally thinking everybody hide under the dumpster. Here comes the Inquisitors. <laughs> so here's where he says, "What the." F- Did you hear that? Oh, totally. Yeah. What the f- and then the next time I'll, I'll fast forward it, he says, leave it here. F- it. <laughs> That's a little specific. Watch, 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 watch. You can come out now. All right, hold on. It's coming. Okay, here's the baby cries. 
All right, now listen to Chopper. After Zeb says, I hope that's not an Inquisitor, he says, leave it here, f*** it. I think you're reaching there. Yeah, it's a little reaching. Oh, wait, 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 wait. And he even says, we can't just leave it here. Watch, listen, listen, one more time. He says, let's leave it here, f*** it. All right, watch. I don't know. That sounded like, let's leave it here. F*** it. And he says, we can't just leave it here. Oh, you are so projecting. He's like, ah, come on, let's blow this up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, let's leave it here. F*** it. That's what he says. So by that, by this definition. Hold on, Barrent, Barrent, I'm going to impart some deep wisdom to you, okay? (laughs) Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. (laughs) All right. I, I say... I just say, I don't know. I think some of the uh, listeners were agreeing with me, but I just heard that. So I agree with you, buddy. You're not alone. I'm just thinking that this means that anytime anybody's on a walkie talkie and you're getting a bad connection, connection, they're constantly saying nothing but based on this rationale. No, what I'm what I'm saying is I never want to watch a Peanuts cartoon with Barrett. No, it's just (laughs) the said you, Charlie Brown. And the way that they're saying it is just the way that you would say that. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's what I'm getting. So. So, bad. He says, let's leave it here. F*** it. And we can't just leave it here. Anyway, I'm ready to go when you guys are ready to go. (laughs) Well, I must be the racist because that first white baby looked like a cross between a Romulan and a hut. So. I won. (laughs) The, the child looked, I thought it looked like a glow worm because you never saw any eyes or legs. And two, you can't be racist. You're the only black person on the call. Isn't that the way that it works in politics now? Oh, I don't oh, think that, I don't think it works like that anymore. Nathan, stay on target. Everybody gets dead quiet. <laughs> and the quiet has to stay in the blooper in order to really make it work. Wow. It's not going to stab love- the same place again. There's already a hole there. I but love he already that. did. Can you guys hear me or am I? I can hear this you. This is Jonathan going like, stop it. <laughs> Will you please stop talking?